Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast. That's right. It's the Project Here's podcast. I'm your favorite Kevin. Kevin. And I'm your favorite Joe. And I totally <laughs> ran over Kevin on that last one because I didn't know what he was going to say. Right, when, I, when I keep walking, you know, you, you kind of get ran over. Uh, today we are, we are kind of, the last few episodes have been kind of talking about projects, the ideas of projects, projects we've had, that kind of stuff. Today we are going to get a little bit more into specifics but not super into specifics right yeah we're gonna cover a broad topic and hopefully express some feelings on said topic that topic is vintage four by four and again this is the opinion of kevin and joe so you are just along for the ride um yes. i have started a list of what i consider the the top vintage four by fours when i think the word vintage four by four Fun fact, when I Google it, it's pretty much the exact same thing. So I'm right. because uh, See, I have no, I made a list, but I have not Googled it. So we'll see how they stack up. I just, I just Googled Vintage 404 and guess what popped up? A flipping international scout. That's right, people. Oh. The one that I own is the best. I'm sorry, Kevin. I didn't even put that on my list. Oh, shut up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go, Joe. Trivia. Vintage 404. Uh, I've written my list of four. They are, of course, the International Scout. It's Copycat, the Ford Bronco, the CJ5, and then because I love Joe, I've put in the Land Rover Series series, series. that includes 1, 2, 2A, and 3. So wow. you included 2A. I'm impressed. What's up? I mean, I learned about it today on Wikipedia. I had to include it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I have two questions concerning these four vehicles. Joe, are you ready? I'm listening. Okay. Which one was made first? Okay. Ooh, Clar see, that's, that's a trick. Clarification on the joy that is Jeep and your defenders ruin it. I understand that. Your Land Rover's ruin that. CJ5, right? Obviously, yeah. there's CJ1, 2, 2A, 3, all yeah. the crap. Right? We're talking specifically CJ5, which is widely known as the first civilian Jeep, right? The one that you could yeah. go out and buy. I would say the Land Rover was produced first, starting in 1948, which would predate the CJ5. That is true, because the CJ5 technically was 54. Yes. But the uh, the 50, CJ yeah. line was technically 45. So the CJ line yes. outdates the series line, but they're all pretty close. Okay, what about a Scout versus Bronco? Oh, gosh, you got me there. I'm going to say Scout just because you asked that question. Yes, because I wouldn't have asked it if it wasn't true. That's right. The See, scout was around four years before the Bronco. Which one's better? No, four okay. years? Oh, four, that breaks my heart. 61 versus 1965. I did not realize scouts were that old. See, I'm learning yeah, new dude. stuff every day. Holy crap. When, well, scout, scout history that you don't care about, by the yeah. time scout was out of their first body style going into their second body style, that's when the first body style of Bronco came out. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Okay. So I've went and done some rough numbers on sales of these vehicles. So we're talking the generation, right? First gen Bronco, first gen Scout, CJ5, and Series oh, 1 through 2. Yeah, That's all the Land Rovers. The like, Land Rovers still bottom of the list, I guarantee it. Oh, you're breaking up. Hang on. I don't know what happened there. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay, so which, okay. which, one, uh, which one sold the most? I would say the Bronco sold the most. You would be very, very incorrect, sir. CJ5. So so the CJ5, as far as I can tell, however, 
the land, the series, according to Wikipedia, the series, it was up into the 2A, like not even including the 3. Okay, so here's my numbers. The CJ5, 603,000 through there. Wow. I mean, they went from 54 to 83. Like they had yeah, a that long, was a long run. That's a long run. So they're expected, right? Uh, the series 1, 2, 3 from 71 to 80. No, from 48 to 85. So they had a long run as well. Yeah, they did have a really long run. I think these numbers really included the series three. I think it was more than one, two, one and two. They were about 440,000. Okay. So those wow. two are clearly way above because the series, I mean, it's, we don't have a lot of them in the U S other than in your yard. Right. Yeah. But we didn't see a lot of them. So I don't really think about them that much. I was surprised when I no. saw that number, of course, like the rest of the world, it said on there that somewhere around 70% of them that were made were exported. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, any British car, they're, the majority of them were for export. Um, you look at, like, your your Triumphs and MGs of, like, the 60s. I, I think it was almost even into the 80s, 80% mark. was Great. U.S. market. Like, it wasn't even, like, international export. I mean, it was almost exclusively American export. I guess it's bananas. There was also a claim made in the 90s that 70% of the Land Rover series made were still on the road. Yes, and I would believe that because most of them ended up in third world countries where they had to do what they had to do to keep a vehicle alive. I would believe that up to, yeah, when that came out, I would have believed it. Now I think it's not as accurate, but they don't claim that anymore. But. So you're, okay, you're getting so, on all my... I know, I'm loving it. <laughs> all right, so Scout versus Bronco. Again, I had to do some math because the Scout blends together the... Um, the Scout 2. Scout 2. Um, which, okay, so I may have messed up my numbers. I don't remember if I said this earlier. 61 to 60... 70. 70, 71 is when the Scout 2 came out. So they were only like 10-year run on yeah. that on that first-generation body style of the Scout. The Bronco went from 65 to 74. So they were only about a 10-year run as well. Yeah, I was going to say Bronco's only a 10-year run too. I thought it was so, 67 to 77 on the Bronco. Oh, 77, sorry. I don't know why I said 74. 77 because 78 when they got the big fat ones on the F-150 chassis. Yeah, 78 when they went to the fat boys. Yeah. Okay. So production numbers on Kevin's estimates, but I I think they're pretty fair. Let me guess. Let me guess. I'm going to say a quarter of a million on the Bronco and like 200 on the 200,000 on the Scout. Okay. So you're pretty close in the Bronco. 225,000, give or take, is kind of what I figured. Actually, that one might have been pretty straightforward because I think that one, oh, yeah, they had. They had the year's number they sold each year, right? Yeah. On the Bronco. On the Scout, 260,000. That's right. More Scouts Whoa. than Bronco. According Still to Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia. Because I bet you ask anybody about the old shoebox Bronco, and they all know what that is. Oh, yeah. I don't think as many people know what Scouts are. Nope. Theoretically, there was more of them sold in about the same time frame. Yeah. Which is crazy, because, like, what do you think that would boil down to? you think that's a marketing thing, or do you think because I, I mean, the Scout was a rental, didn't, 
looking at the trend of the sales per year that I kind of looked at, right? Like international yeah. hit hard at the very beginning. Like when they first came out, it was them versus the CJ, right? That's all there was. Yeah. Well, on the Land Rover. On the Land Rover. But I mean, <laughs> realistically acquirable for the farmer man in the United States. Like, yeah. Right. And yeah. It, it was, and they kind of went for the little bit nicer, you know, it's, it's pretty sad to say the scouts are the nicer one, but I mean, you went from a Jeep, you know, or the scout. And so their numbers were really high at the beginning and then started to kind of slow down midway through. And like I said, they were around four years before the Bronco kicked off and the Broncos numbers were never really impressive that I saw. Like they were always like, I mean, kind of mediocre. Yeah. Like 10 to 20,000. Like that's all they ever were where the scouts were like 30,000. Um, so anyway, so what happened to them all? That's my question. Yeah, where the heck are they all? I think they all just got out on farms and then rusted away and got junked because they were farmer vehicles and nobody cared about them. Well, and I think, too, where the international brand went away, that had to have done something. I know it really doesn't matter, but I think it does because what I have seen is, and this is purely anecdotal and I have no data to base this next, the following statement off of, but cars that were manufactured by companies that are no longer in existence seem to be considerably less popular than cars that their parent company is still in existence. Well, just like we talked about in our, our previous episode, too, is in the 80s when the Scout ended, right, and into the 90s, yeah. like, you didn't have the Internet. You couldn't jump online and order whatever you wanted. This is true, yeah. You know, and so when they're out of business and they're not getting made stuff for anymore, like... You have your old scout, it broke down. It's, you know, is it worth putting it back together or is it worth just getting rid of it and moving on? Yeah, that's true. So I, I think that probably has a lot to do with it. You know, is this as they broke down, as they rusted out, it was like, well, you can't do anything with them. And, you know, now there's a decent amount of aftermarket support for them. There's still a lot of people modifying them now because that's kind of the trend now. But I think back when they were bought as farm implements and as the off-road vehicles, yeah. You know, that's they were disposable more or less when it came down to it. You know, when they're 10, 20 years old, like, and there was no support yeah. for them, what are you going to do true. with it? So, so anyway, so those, those were my four. And, and Joe and I were talking before we started this podcast that I probably left off a pretty big one that neither of us really care to bring back in. So it'll and get a mention, it'll get an honorable, it's mention. honorable mention and not any further discussion. And you can, Hate me all you want for that, but that's <laughs> my 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 piece. I've said my piece. The, the Toyota guys out there are going to know what I'm talking about, and they're probably already yelling at us. The Toyota FJ40. I, I don't know why it didn't cross my mind. I mean, there's obviously companies out there. There's uh, was Icon 4x4 or Icon Off Road, one of those yep. two that do the reproduction ones, and they're cool and they're fancy now, and whatever. I'm going to say I this one. This I don't is, care for them. This is all all I'm going to say on the subject. Toyota Motor Company actually named it the Land Cruiser intentionally to confuse it with the Land Rover. And anyway. Coming from a Land Rover guy, I don't know if I can believe that. No, dude, Google, Wikipedia. <laughs> I bet it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> just pushing your button. <laughs> That's like me making a, 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 a two-door, you know, muscle car and calling it the... Uh, Appaloosa or something like that and it's like well no technically it's not a Mustang it's an Appaloosa but 
they're both <laughs> running horses, so it's same, same. I mean, same, same, but same, they're different. Same. Ours is different. But it so, is different uh, because the name is like half the name's the same. You know what I mean? It's like Corvette and Corvair, right? It's the bait and switch thing. Like, I've gotten so and, much more out of you on this topic than I ever thought I would. Oh my gosh, this is almost embarrassing. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Talk of the, the automobile that will no longer be mentioned. Yeah, we'll leave that one alone. I, I'm sorry <sighs> I have them, but... I'm still in shock over the whole Scout versus Bronco thing, so that's going to be... Oh, Scouts gonna... were around first, and they sold more, and those are my yeah. numbers, and you're going to have to live with it. This this paradigm shift is a little uncomfortable to get used to. So, <laughs> so but it goes... <laughs> It goes back to my Le Mans. I texted Joe something earlier today. Oh, yes. And I'm going to bring it up. I was going to save it for a different episode, but I'm going to bring it up. My 68 Pontiac Le Mans, which I make, uh, I don't make a point of mentioning in every episode, but it comes up in every episode. Okay, because um, you're doing this, I'm looking stuff up while you're talking, so I'm still trying to listen. Though. Okay, do it. Uh, well, you already seen this. This is just, just for people. I haven't had in high school in 1968 Pontiac Le Mans. Okay, it was a four door, so it was undesirable. Joe, you are typing very loud, just in case you care. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm done <laughs> clacking away there. I apologize. It's an old keyboard. What can I say? So, so I found a book at my dad's house: Cars of the Sizzling Sixties, which I've mentioned before as well. The exact numbers are of a 1968 Pontiac Le Mans four door. That year, there was 9,002 of those cars made. That's it. That's it. And they, again, like the Scout, they probably weren't kept around because they weren't muscle cars, right? And it wasn't like yep. they were made in limited production. It was nobody bought them. And that's why they only made 9,000 of them. The same year, a two-door Le Mans, same body style, two doors, 110,000 of those were made. Okay? The ever-desirable GTO you know, the big bad boy that's probably the rare one that everybody wants, you know, if you're into the Pontiac thing, there was like, what was it, 87,000, almost 90,000 yeah. of those made, you know, 10 Crap times problem. more than the four-door Le Mans. But again, just like the Scout, like, well, the Scouts are getting up there. I mean, people have, we've talked about this before too. People have started getting yes. into the Scouts and building them. But, but when I bought mine, it was cheap because it wasn't a Bronco, right? It wasn't the name. It wasn't yeah. car with my Le Mans. But it just blows my mind, those numbers and the fact that that car will only ever be worth $2,000 because it has an extra set of doors. Everything else is GTO, right? It's like the same style. You put a silly tack on the hood. You probably can't re-wheel drive down the road anyway. And it's a GTO with two extra doors. Anyway, Rand, it's vintage 4x4, Joe. Dang it. Okay, so do do I get to mention my my honorable mention on the same tangent? Yeah, go for it. So Triumph Spitfire, because I can't go an episode without mentioning that, right? Well, the, 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 the companion model to that would be the GT6. Yes. Knowing that there's lower numbers of that than the Spitfire, but on Wikipedia, they're doing it by body style. So you're talking like a several year expanse. So 70 to 73, 13,000. That's over a three year period. Yeah. But I totally get it. Like, and then that, that that was what we were discussing over the phone earlier is like the 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 obscurity element of it is is interesting, or at least fascinating to me. But anyway, 
we will discuss this further. Okay, so so later. let's touch a little bit on likes and dislikes. I have never, other than for one specific CJ5 that's name is Zippy Delivery, I have not yes. had anything for CJ5s, right? At, at Fat Bob's, at the off-road shop when I worked there, people would bring them in, and we were hitting on this earlier <clears throat> on our phone call. Oh, yeah. It, people may would come I, in. I? Yeah, go for it. Okay, because I thought of a term for this. Okay. Okay. Now I, I I have technically I bought a CJ5 for a hundred dollars like fifteen years ago. There was not a single bolt in it, <laughs> and I put the axles under the frame as as far as I got it, and then I sold it for a hundred dollars and a small block Chevy four barrel and intake. Anyway, second one would be Zippy Delivery, right? And that thing's cute as a button, and I love it, but the thing I like the most about it is and that we talked about this on the phone call, like I was deer hunting a couple of years ago and you hear this something coming down the road, 60 year old dude in a really clean looking, relatively stock flat fender Jeep, right? CJ three, four, call it, I don't know, person, but it wasn't a CJ five. Now when we were discussing this, that's like tastefully done. Right. And the term I'm going to use right. is overbuilt right? You take this. It is so easy to overbuild a CJ. Well, because they're so small, by the time you put like 35 right. inch tires, a six inch and a, a V8 in it, the thing's not really drivable. I don't care who you are. You're, you're lying. If you're saying it's more daily drivable than one that is relatively stock. I mean, yes. So, my my perfect example, when I came into the shop, a guy just bought it for a 16-year-old daughter. It looked good. It just had its fresh, probably Mako paint job because you looked under it, it wasn't that nice. But it was the 10-yard fake out, right? It yeah. looked good or 50-yard fake out, whatever that is. It looked good. It rolled in the shop. It had the big tires, the blingy rims. It was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Until you got behind the wheel of that death trap. And it was the most terrifying thing in the world. Oh, and this yeah. guy's trying to give it to a 16-year-old daughter. you know, And it was... The wheelbase is so short. It had the V8 in it. It had the 35s. You hit the gas, you went to one side of the road. You hit the brakes, you went to the other side of the road. Yep. We went through this thing over and over again, and we changed out stuff, and we adjusted stuff, and we made it better. But at the end of the day, it was still a handful to drive down the road. you know. And and I, th I think if you want to overbuild a, a CJ, you get into the buggies, right? And then whatever. Yeah, stretch right? the wheelbase, wheelbase, do full width axles. Full width axles. Yeah. Right that's doable but when you just get to like the the standard jeep build lift wheels tires you know i've got a cool lifted jeep the cj is not the platform for that well, when, in any way shape or form when you see a cj that's been lifted with like the big balloony tires to me i don't care what paint job or motor or whatever you have in it <coughs> oh, excuse me that screams like 1989 like you don't even, <laughs> just put a chrome like four inch roll bar on there like you know you might as well just do it up because i think especially now as off-road vehicles in general have evolved you can still make something fun without making it stupid yeah. that's one man's opinion but as we talk about a cj5 like that's i have never been like madly in love with the cj5 and then we came across zippy and I am definitely starting to warm up to the CJ5, but 
in more of the 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 vintagey sense, right? Like with Zippy, yeah, there is exactly. no intention on like lifting it or doing stupid things to it. No no sense in exaggerating it, right? Like it can be you know, upgraded in a few ways without compromising its vintagey flavor. And yep. I think... No, I, I agree with that. I think what made the CJ5 so such a susceptible victim to being overbuilt was probably the fact that there were a crap ton of them. They were easily available and cheap. I mean, even to this right. day, and, and, and you could probably find a CJ5 for 500 bucks, And it's like, okay, so let's get crazy with it. And it's like, but I don't know if that's really the best platform to be doing that with. Right. And I don't think you could ignore the military aspect of that vehicle. You have a lot of people who have a special feeling in their heart back then. Oh, yeah. You know, and even maybe today. But you have back then, it was like that. They had a relationship with that Jeep vehicle that took them around the world in wars, you know? And so like, I think that's why the sales were so high, right? They were a unique vehicle. They oh, were yeah. the first one of their kind, you know, and people had a relationship with them and that's great. But like you're saying, you know, Zippy being in a stock form, a few minor upgrades, maybe just to make it more up to date, but you're not trying to put huge horsepower. You're not trying to, you know, put big tires on it. So my wife's grandpa has a flat fender that they live up, up in the mountains by a lake. And like that thing is the most fun just to cruise around the little city streets and to drive down to the beach and drive up the mountains. And it's just a little puttering thing and you don't expect to go fast. You're not passing anybody yeah. but for what it is in its true form. Like it is wonderful. It is a great, you know, it's, it's a very special vehicle. And I think that, I mean, I'm a guy who for many years of my life has lifted vehicles and modified vehicles, not for myself. I mean, for myself, but also mainly for others, right. In my career. And mm -hmm. It's just the older stuff, the older Jeeps. I'm not, I, I'm more of a stock guy. Yep. If we switch gears over to the Broncos and Scouts, again, you can ruin it. My, my best example is that Bronco. When you were with me that we put in and the guy had us put a 5.0 in it, which was great, but not knowing what he was doing, despite our advice, left the three on the three transmission, you know? And so we yes. had hundreds of horsepower and gearing that couldn't go above 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And it was just the worst, was a I mean, that was one of the worst thing to drive just because it couldn't, it couldn't use the power. Yeah. And so you, know, you get into modifying stuff and it's, it's hard because if you want to do it the quote unquote right way, you're, you know, and in a big way, you're right. Going all over, in, yeah. Right. If you're overbuilding it in the quote unquote right way, you're going to be into it a lot of money and a lot of time, um, you know, but I think, in my opinion, in my experience, Broncos, once they've been modified, the few that, that I've been in and driven in that had the V8, that had the 35s, are way more drivable than a CJ will ever ever be. Well, because you, you have a more robust platform, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. I think that, you know, perfect example, Triumph Spitfire. See, I brought it up again. When I did my last motor swap in it, everybody kept telling me to put a V8 in it. I'm like, this car is like 11 feet long and four feet wide. And tell me to put a V8 in it, there's no room for anything else. Yeah. Not, not to mention well, that's what you're CJ. doing with weight distribution and stuff, right? And the same could be said for the CJs because it's a narrow tub. I mean, they're, they're dang near four feet wide. 
Well, that's what um, I was going to say. We had one that came with like a big automatic transmission V8, you know, had the new, new five, three with the, the transmission of the Chevy and that tunnel was so wide. There was nowhere to even put your feet. You could barely push the pedals. You'd hit the gas and the brake at the same time. They're so squished together. Yep. You know, it's just well, ridiculous. And much to the CJ's credit, as we, you know, transition from this, I think that their niche was filled by other things like, you know, the Polaris Razor and the, the Kawasaki Terex, right? Like, Right. That it's essentially gravitated into the the side by side market, but like what like two years ago that that uh, Mahindra Roxer came out, which is a CJ seven, and it's like back to its stock format, and now they're selling them for like twenty grand. Yeah, like it, it came full circle, right? Like it went to the point yeah. where people modified them to where they're useless, and now they're re releasing them in in closer to a stock format. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, refilling that market that it had already filled, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. So, that, I mean, that was one of the things that we've kind of, we've kind of been hitting on is my, my, I was going to have a conversation stock versus modified, right? The biggest reason I modified my scout was I either had to throw a whole bunch of money in it to make it stock, or I could put out a whole bunch of money in to make it modified and to this day, we still don't know if I've ruined or not. Maybe I've created a CJ5 out of the Scout. You know, Maybe. I like to think it's got a longer wheelbase. It's a little bit wider now, so they put wider axles on. I didn't go crazy on my horsepower, no, right? I, I, I honestly think that's going to be what saves that thing, is the fact that you you were modest in your power plant choice. And honestly, like my old Land Rover that I've got, it's got a 289 in it. I can do fourth gear on my dad's like two and a half acre pasture, like. It's geared. Yeah. It's geared so low. Like it originally had a four cylinder, and I've I've often thought about going back to a four cylinder in it just because there again you have all that wasted power. Like you're just burning extra gas to to look cool, I guess. But I really think on yeah. your Scout, that's that's going to be what really saves it. Not that it needs saving, but I think that's going to what what maintains it domesticated enough that it can be utilized is is your power plant choice i really do i think you could upgrade a few things to get a little more power out of it if you really needed it yeah but it's gonna keep it from being overbuilt like it's not gonna be stupid because it doesn't have i think if you threw a v8 in it to to be perfectly frank it would be pretty stupid yeah no i i think so too especially i mean it doesn't need to have big horsepower i kind of want it to be able to keep the vintagey feel yeah right i went with a four cylinder fuel injected engine to kind of update it um i brought it up to the 1990s from 1967 yeah. right um you know, I, I got the reliability of a fuel injection theoretically if i go off-roading with it i don't have to worry about carburetors right i got a little more horsepower out of it but i wasn't looking to have torque i didn't want to break stuff right so yeah. fred it was last name fred from uh from dirt every day and the, the four-wheel and off-road magazine right he has a little Toyota pickup called Clampy that he did the same thing. Basically, he took a newer Toyota motor and put it in it. And I think he's got full width one ton axles. But his logic is overbuild the axles, underbuild the engine. You're not going to break stuff that way. You know, so many times I've seen people put huge horsepower in these vehicles. And even if they put big axles in them, yeah. you're still breaking stuff, you yep. know. And so... There, there's a lot to be so with, with the vintage four by four thing. I mean, there's obviously two big paths you can go with a lot of paths in between with keeping it stock versus modified. 
Um, I tend to, I mean, the cool big modified builds are cool. They are. And I love that people do them. And I yes. love that the, you love seeing them, you know, wheeling hard. Um, me personally, the scout is as, as much as probably I would ever go on a vintage four by four. It's lifted quite a bit. It's got 35s on it, but my axles that I put under it are even with the body. I'm not sticking out super wide. Yeah. I wanted to keep it full. It is higher than I'd like it. I'd probably like to bring it down a little bit. Um, but I mean, that's, that's kind of my style, but I love seeing people with the vintage four by four stuff, especially out doing stuff with them, right? Not car shows yeah. because I think you get every now and again, you'll see old four by fours at car shows, Yep. more trucks probably, but every now and again, you see them and it's cool, but it's so much cooler to go to Moab and see all the new Jeeps and all the new Toyotas and all these guys driving around. And then some clapped out old Jeep rolls up or, you know, an old Bronco or an old scout. And it's just like, it's all rusty and it's got holes in it and you can tell it's just been through the ringer. And that's, I think that's to me, like the, the beauty of vintage four by four is that when they are built, they're not built for show. Yeah. 90% of the time I'd say, right. They're built, they're purpose built still, which I think is just awesome. Like you're taking a vehicle that was built back in those days, like for a purpose trucks nowadays have more luxury in them. You know, you can buy a, a new pickup truck for thousand dollars, yep. right? They're luxury. When you go back to the old vintage four by four stuff, it was purpose built, and I love seeing purpose built. Well, the the stuff. fact that you could get like a PTO implement to go behind your CJ or your Land Rover and actually use it as a piece of farm equipment that says a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I I will say to your to your point there. Um, Dodge was advertising not long ago that their their new truck has the largest touch screen in its class. Yeah. And I thought, man, yeah. we've we've come a long way as a society that that's what makes a truck worth worth buying is you know, hey there Leonard, what's your towing capacity? Oh, it's not about towing capacity. This baby's got a 17-inch flat screen in the dash. It's like, "Oh, dang, okay, you win," you know, like, "What?" Anyway, I'm sorry. Which, which would take Great. If we were ready to head off on down a certain Land Rover episode. Oh, gosh, um, I know. That would be a segue, it would right? Be a beautiful and, segue. and I think that's it's something that they hit on because even with the old Bronco versus new Bronco, obviously there's a big year gap in there, you know, and the Bronco kind of had incremental steps where it went from the shoebox to the bigger one. And then you get the twin I beams and you had V8s and you had, you know, interiors yeah. <laughs> and carpet. You know, and so the newer one I'm sure is gonna be fancy and it's gonna have all the fancy tech in it and it's gonna have, you know, all that stuff, but it kind of made the gradual steps where the defender um, you know, was the same forever. Oh my gosh, and it was yes. the old one thing. And the new one, I have gained a little respect for it. Um I'm still having a but hard let's be honest with it. It's hard. Absolutely. Now I will say this back to your, you know. If you look at a vintage 4x4, I really think that probably the only thing, in my opinion, that would be worth updating would probably be your power plant or your, your drivetrain, right? Um, because so much of that, I mean, you look at any of them, they may have a pretty stiff ride, but how much of that is, you know, rusty leaf springs that just aren't behaving properly right. or worn bushings or stuff. It's yeah. You know, um, but I really think if you've got a, something that would give you a little bit more 
drivability out of it, either something that was more reliable or, you know, was producing more power for the weight that it was adding to the equation. Um, like back with the, the old Land Rover and that, I mean, it's got a 68 Mustang 289. Even if I put a Pinto, turbo Pinto motor in it, I can get more horsepower and shave almost 200 pounds out of the car. Um, and that's 20 year old technology. If we want to do an eco boost, then, you know, forget about it. But like, you know, like an old Bronco or something, if you were to put a little bit more modern motor in it without changing a whole heck of a lot else, you could have a decent daily driver at that point. And like your scout, perfect example. Um, I think back then really my biggest criticism of like leaving it stock would just be, by today's standards, you probably couldn't even drive it to work, even if you kept it off the freeway, you know? Right. Yeah. You would struggle in today's traffic. And I mean, and it, and it wouldn't be fun. I mean, the Jeep that I drove around the mountains, the old flat fender of, of my wife's grandpa's is it's fine because in that situation, there's no cars around. It's, you know, it's one lane roads, it's dirt roads, but if you're going to try to drive it down a city street, like you're saying, you know, it, it they're, you've got to do a little bit to them to get out of their own way. Yeah. You know, it, it, there is some updating that, that has to happen um, to make them daily drivable as far as comfort. And as far yeah, as I mean, like being able to upgrade up. the steering <laughs> and brakes or whatever, you know, like probably the best vintage four by four I ever rode in was, it was actually a guy that owned a land cruiser shop. Like they dealt exclusively in land cruisers, but it was a, late 70s early 80s series 3 land rover long wheelbase it was ex military so right hand drive it was like british racing green the inside looked like like right out of the late 70s right like just bare bare bones but it had a 43 vortec in it like the little chevy v6 fuel injected that is not a giant yeah. motor um but it was like the perfect match for that. Like we took it down to lunch. Like I, my buddy was working there at the time. So, you know, I went out there and that was really when I got bit by the Land Rover bug hard was we ran this thing down main street in this old town. I mean, it'd do cruise at 45 without breaking a sweat. And then on the way back, I was like, Oh, this thing's pretty sweet. And he like swerves off the shoulder of the road. And we're like, you know, going through this, like, whoops and stuff in this thing and just bouncing all over the place but i remember just being completely shocked that you know most new trucks you could not do that in you know and here's this thing that's you know older than i am and it was like nothing you know and we got back and i'm like asking you like what all did you have to modify and it was like i just put a different motor in it and it was like wait what so yeah um but like after that like I think I fell pretty hard on that. Like, you know, I mean, my next door neighbor growing up had a flat fender with like a, a 327, you know, the thing had a giant hood scoop and it had, I think, 35 inch tires. And I mean, it took everything that guy had in him to keep it going down the road straight, let alone driving around town. And coincidentally enough, like months after the guy got it, they ended up putting it on its side um up in the mountains just because you know you had to touch the skinny pedal to get it to move but like once you did you better get off it real quick because then it won't want to stop and 
Right. Nobody was hurt, thank goodness. But yeah, we were actually talking about he was wanting my Spitfire real bad, and so we were starting to talk about doing some horse training. And then a couple of weeks later, he comes over and he's like, "Um, yeah, my Jeep's not for sale anymore." I was like, "Oh, okay." And they had, yeah, they balled that thing up. But yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be careful. I mean, again, I I think it's because I mean, like hot rods, right? The same the thing same thing would probably be said about all of your hot rods with their oh, big man. blown V8s and the things. Yes. Blown. 500 pounds right nobody's actually out trying to drive them nobody's out trying to drag yeah, race them for the most part that weighs like 2500 pounds cj5 i have looked into this 2500 pound car like yeah you get an old like 32 model a there is no reason to have 900 or 1000 horsepower in that thing you're never going to utilize yeah. it like it's going to do giant smoky burnouts and it's not going to be any fun to drive it'll be cool to look at though you know like yeah but you get the old four by four stuff and people do that and then expect it to be able to drive, you know, because they still want to use them. They still yep. want to, you know, they see other people out actually using them. And so they think, Oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do all the, you know, hit my tick, my, my tick boxes. And, you know, I'm going to do the V8, I'm do the big tires, do the lift. Why doesn't it drive good? Yep. You know? And, and we ran into that a lot with people that, that restore them. But, uh, so correct um, me if I'm wrong, from my experience, I've essentially seen, existing operable vintage four by fours fall into one of two categories and you can feel free to interject at any point people either fully restore them or overbuild them to the point where they're not really functional but they look nice but now they don't really dare do anything with them or the thing is still tattered around the edges and has a few rust holes in it but it'll go down the road and they can actually use it and there's not a whole lot of ground in between the two no, there's not. I, I would say if anything, there's there's a category above that fits into that rock crawler, which I've seen a handful of like that are that are the full crawl, width yeah. stretch right stretched axle, full width, um uh, stretch wheelbase, I mean full width axles. You know, they maybe have the V eight, but they'll actually there was an FJ forty that came in, you know, that was actually okay to drive. You know, it was also like kind of a show vehicle, so it wasn't okay to drive, but like it drove okay. There's been a few Broncos again that come through that are like that. Um, but again, people aren't people who build the full blown rock buggy stuff aren't expecting them to drive down the road good. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's, it's not a daily driver. That's oh, it, it does. I mean, it, it probably drove better than that one CJ I drove that wanted to kill me every time I yeah. <laughs> the rock buggy would have been better driving down the road, but um, they weren't trying to because they had a rock buggy. That's what they wanted to build. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do hope we get into, I know we'll get into the scout because I'm not going to let that one die. And I know we'll get into the, the, uh, Land Rover stuff because we've already started filming one of those before Joe decided to move. Now I'm moving. I mean, we're just messing everything up. We are. Um, we'll, we'll get back in the groove we'll here before too long. Five because we have Zippy, right? Yes. And hopefully we'll be doing something with Zippy, not before too long. My fingers crossed. I mean, especially with where I've moved to, Zippy is definitely... um, I'm looking at Zippy in a different light. Back (laughs) to that whole side-by-side tangent, right? Like, I mean, it would be a complete riot to use as a side-by-side, but mildly executed. Yep. A little bit of updates, a little bit of good to go, but but if you have a vintage 4x4, Joe and I both have vintage 4x4s. 
we talk a lot about our other cars, but vintage four by fours have a special part in most people's hearts. And like I said, my favorite thing about them is they actually get used. You yes. Know, the ones you see, they actually, I mean, they're not all rock crawlers, right? But people are actually driving them and they, yep. they go kind of, uh, hunting and camping and stuff in them. And um, that's, that's to me, the beauty of the vintage four by four is that they are less show car and more what we like in a project, right? Of a, a yeah, where it's mobile. More of a daily driver or daily use type implement. Yeah. So this this probably could have been saved for another episode, but I'm going to throw this out there because even non-car people, I've had this conversation with several people in the past is, and I think vintage 4x4 probably fits this tangent. The only other category I think would fall into this or that would apply to it better would be like old trucks. But you could take anybody and I bet they've got some kind of nostalgia for some automobile for some reason, even if they're not a car person. And I think that's looking at vintage four by fours. And I know this doesn't fit the equation because my dad always had like full size Broncos, but like, it seemed like we always had a full size Bronco that we were out running around in. And so even though I've never owned an old Bronco, like just the name Bronco has some nostalgia tied to it. Right. Definitely. Um, and like most people you talk to, even if they're not a car person, they go, oh, yeah, like, you know, my uncle or my grandpa or even my dad had an old Jeep or an old Bronco or an old Land Rover. Probably not an old Land Rover because most people have common sense. But um, <laughs> but there is that element to it. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating, like you were saying, is it's something that actually got used and abused. You're right. I mean, lots of people have old cars that are sitting in a barn or in their garage under a tarp or something, right? But like... Most people with stuff like this, as long as they could, you know, get it back together enough to get it back down the trail, they were doing so. Yep. Um, and I, I do. I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects of vintage 4x4 stuff is, without a doubt, they almost all have, you know, that that beautiful look of something that's gone a million miles down a rough road, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's kind of a, a category of its own, and I and I love it, you know. Um, I've I've kind of gotten away way with it, way from it because of probably my anger at the scout in its ways, but mm-hmm. um, but no, it's definitely a cool category. So, um, if you're looking for a project car, look at the vintage four x four stuff. They're usually fairly cheap, right? You're not spending a lot of money on them. You've got yep. easy upgrades because you got a lot of junk parts, you, junkyard parts you can go for them. You know, and, oh, yeah. and they're they're always frame on or body on frame, so you can modify the crap out of them. Um, so yeah, go get yourself a vintage four by four and and build it. How about that for a yes. how about that for a conclusion? Ooh, I like it. Yep, we could just put a pin in it right there, huh? There you go. So as always, follow us on all of the social medias at the Project Tears on everything, Facebook, Instagram, and the YouTube. And uh, share your with us. Share your vintage four by fours with us. Show us what you've got. Tell us if we're wrong, and that if lifted big days with a million horsepower are the greatest thing in the world. Let us know, and we'll tell you you're wrong, and we can give each other high fives and be wrong together. That's right. All right. We'll we'll see you next time. Have fun. Have a good one.